Good morning. It's Saturday morning. It's time for Michael Nesco's Renegade Rock here on the Rogue Radio Podcast Network, bringing all the great tunes to you every Saturday morning, 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And now we got interviews. We got David Reese, Ainsley Dunbar, Bobby Caldwell, Davey Patterson. And today we have the one and only Dick Smothers Jr. here on Renegade Rock. Welcome to Renegade Rock, Dick. I feel welcome, Mike. Thank you. It's really cool to talk to you. It's been a long time since we've talked to each other. It has, man. It's a trip. The old Omni scene. Remember? What a great scene that was, wasn't it? There was an enormous amount of energy at the time there. Um, and a lot of good-looking women. There were a couple. <laughs> yeah, the Omni. And uh, wasn't that owned by John Nady, I think? 
Yes. Yes. He, uh, he, uh, nobody would book his band. So <laughs> he bought his own club. Story goes, so he bought a club. Don't, you know what's funny? I played my band, The Quick. We opened up at his band's opening show at the Omni. <laughs> no shit. Yeah, we opened but up the for The cool him. thing about it was, I mean, it was a bigger deal at the time because we're talking 86, right? Right, right. That was about it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the place was totally, it was equipped with all wireless mics. And back then it was like, you know, state of the art wireless mic, man. You know, nobody, nobody had their own wireless mic. So, Dick, I know you're you're from a famous family. You're the Smothers Brothers, your dad and, and your uncle. And uh, but what was the first musician that really inspired you to play music? I mean, did you know you want to be a musician or were you just? Here's the deal. Um, the band that made me want to be a rock star was Kiss. Kiss, yes. Um, now, the first artist that I really got into, though, I, 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 I dug the Who. When I was in third grade, I had cousins. Uh, they were older than me, and I just, I really dug the hill. So Did I you grow up in L.A.? Were you in L.A.? We moved to Santa Cruz when I was 10. So we lived in Southern California until I was 10, and then we moved to Santa Cruz. And then I, my, uh, my family, my mom and dad were always breaking up and getting back together again. So we live in Santa, I lived in Santa Cruz for a while. You and were all it, over the place. Yeah, but yeah, you know, so yeah, rather... Yeah, itinerant, I guess. I know. Was your dad a musical influence on you also? Not at all. For not him at was all. Just, for him, it was just a job. He was not... He's really? Not wow, that's crazy. No, it's just... it's Everything for him was by rote, and it was what he did for the act. I mean, in later years, shit. We, he, me and him and my brother, I remember us going out to go to karaoke. He wouldn't even get up and go to karaoke. No way. Yeah. Well, you know, whatever. Whatever yeah. whatever works, right? I don't judge. So so when when did you see Kiss in it just like... Uh, a friend of mine turned me on to him, and he had kiss alive and dude that was it um, huh <laughs> that was come on wearing out the tennis racket and breaking into the liquor cabinet you know after that, that was a cool era then too you know it I, was you know and it's like you know you can there you go there's always the caveat that like yeah everything's great when you're a kid but i can objectively compare eras of music you know with the present and I think in a lot in a lot of ways it in a lot of ways it was better uh, in the sense that it was I don't know it was more genuine I guess it was more creative and it, the it, and it was there wasn't so much of everything and I it, and, exactly and the, overkill the, of, the reason that a lot of things changed is because the way the industry changed I like how Frank Zappa described it he said back in the sixties he said you know early sixties and stuff you had like um, the guys that own record companies were like these old Italian guys that you know didn't know anything about music you know they'd be like. Uh, I don't know. Sounds pretty good. You think it sounds good? Yeah, I think it sounds okay. Well, let's make a record with them. And then what happened is the hippie musicians, they, <laughs> then they worked their ways into the A&R and the, you know, the record companies and stuff, and they're like, yeah, you know, uh, yeah, he's nuts. You know what I mean? A little more of an elitist attitude. Yeah, and right. Then, and then we see it gradually the corporatization of everything. Oh, my God. And, um, now you know, it's... which I think really went nuts in the 80s, right? And it has devolved to the point where we're at now where they're like, oh, no, we only make records with, with acts that already have 30 million views on YouTube. And we don't even give a shit what they sound like. We, right. we know we're going to make money off it, right? So <laughs> so get out there. And so now you're in the business of, whereas before it was like, hey, let's just be really good. And let's play a lot. And people will know about us and we'll get our demo out there, right? Um, to the point now where it's like, 
hey man, you better be on social media and you better be doing this and you better be doing that and all this other shit. And it's like, there's this really, and it's like, don't even count on making money off your music, dude. Uh, you're, you know, you're going to make your money off of, you know, t-shirts and shit. That's right. Like, yeah, you're, like, you're merchandise. I'm not, a, I'm not a t-shirt salesman. Me neither. <laughs> and I'm not, and I'm not, a, I'm not a friggin', I'm not a friggin' social media marketer either. I'm not an influencer. No? The just, internet has ruined, yes, the internet and everything has just ruined the music industry, in my well, opinion. It's interesting. Um, Adam Smith, I don't know if you're familiar with Adam Smith. He wrote The Wealth of Nations. He's the first Yes, capital. I know who that is. Yeah. He said, basically, access is what destroys any industry. Right. It happened to the porn industry, too, which so much access. Right. Which I was also involved in. Yes, I, I've heard about that. Yeah. Um, but it was the same thing. You know, uh, you had a few com- back in the like 70s and stuff, 80s. You had a few companies. They were big. Everybody was making good money. People paid a lot of money for it. And now, dude, all you need, literally all anyone needs to be now now it's now, now and this is what really fr- freaking pisses me off dude it, 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 it's content now no they're not it's not an album it's content it's not music it's content it's not a video it's content pretty but sad anybody, isn't it pretty sad literally, literally anybody with a smartphone can have their own porn website and then and make porno movies and make money Literally, anybody. Oh, all yeah, need. it's crazy. Yeah, right? But now, in one sense, though, it is kind of a positive thing because it really is democratization. But what happens is those those shifts happen, and then it's the Wild West for a little bit. And you got people like, yeah, freedom, oh, no corporation, I can do my own thing. But the corporations find a way to take control of it. Always. Inevitably. So, Dick, we started off the show with this great tune from this great band called Noah Vale and the Dogs of Heaven. Have you ever heard of them? Yeah, that's my altered ego. Yes, and the song is Same Perversion. Tell us about this band and this song. I mean, I love it. Great stuff. Okay, uh, here's the deal. Uh, I'm not a young man. I'm 58 years old. I'll be 68 in two months. I won't tell anyone. <laughs> We're not getting any younger, right, Dick? However, the last girl I dated, I met I met online. She was 45, and in my profile it said I'm 44. Dude, I look younger than she does. She never <laughs> so whatever. Don't, don't let anybody tell you that deals with the devil don't work. Right, right. But anyway, um, so what... <sighs> This was a few years ago. This has got to be going back. I think I, I first had the idea about 10 or 12 years ago. I said, okay, if I want to get out there or try to get out there and be taken as legit, I mean... You got to do it without your name, right? This is, well, yeah, but this is a very ageist. This is a very ageist business, right? Definitely. I mean, it's one thing if you're a legacy band. I mean, Metallica can be in their 60s, right? But do you think if Metallica came out now in their 60s? No. No, nah, fuck no. Not well, in Europe, they'd be fine, but you know, but that's a different story. We're in America, right? So, so what I thought was, okay, so how could I pass myself off as not being this age? So I came up with the idea. You know, uh, I was very much inspired by Tony Clifton, which was a character that Andy Kaufman did, and he never broke character. He's a nightclub singer. Go ahead and look up Tony Clifton. Funny as hell. It's it. no, I know who that is. <laughs> yeah, uh, Chris Gaines, which was Garth Brooks' alter ego. Remember, he did that pop album and right. had a whole. He had a fake bio and everything. And, of course, you know, the, the ultimate alter ego of all time in rock and roll, Ziggy Stardust. And so Definitely, I came up yes. with this idea for this character, Noah Vale, who... I love had, that name. Where'd you come up with that name? It came to me, and then, but, but, but how I played on it is I said, this is what I tell people. Do you know that your whole life you've been praying to me? Because all your prayers are to Noah Vale. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. I love it. I love it. I love it. Yeah, I, 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 get, I get my feelings on religion in there as well. But um, So I came up with the idea that I'd have this character who 
had disassociative amnesia. In other words, he didn't remember who he was, how old he was or anything. And, and he was found, washed up, you know, heart stopped on the beach in, in Nova Scotia by a, by a former, um, you know, by a retired Coast Guard guy. And after extensive, you know, I mean, all kinds of searches and, you know, data, you know, database searches, Interpol, DNA, everything, nobody could, uh, you know, nobody could figure out who he was. So, so then they say, how, how old is Noah Bell? He doesn't know. I love it. Yeah. And then I, and then I, so I had the idea. It started, I don't do anything small. I always think I go off on these tangents. So aside from the music, which I already had, I, I, some of the songs I already had and the sound I already had. Are you writing all the tunes or are you co writing with somebody? Well, on that album, um, nine of this, nine of the songs, uh, well, let's see. I wrote all the songs except there are four covers. There's one by, Ultravox, one by um, Sly Fox, which is Let's Go All The Way, an 80s song. Voices Carry by Till Tuesday. Wow, that, I'd, I'd like to hear that. I got to dig back into that whole record. Oh, yeah, did it. We did. I, I, there's a video for it. We I love cool that video. song. Yeah, we did a cool video for it. It's really dark. Um, and then a cover by a fellow uh, named Chris Corner who calls himself I Am Max. He was in the Sneaker Pimps, okay, which was a, had a, a, a they were an alternative. Uh, so you're bringing me into a world I knew nothing about. Yeah. And, and so what I, what I wanted to do is I wanted to combine the different styles of music that I liked in, a, in an organic way so it didn't sound all Frankenstein, right? So I really love metal, obviously. I love Judas Priest, you know. Right. Um, but I also love, but I, I really love Billy Idol because of his hybridized approach. Remember, I mean, I totally. think um, he was unique. It was new wave and it was metal. You know what I mean? A nice um, blend, really, a very nice blend. Yeah, and I also really have a strong affection for the new romantic and new wave bands uh, of the 80s, uh, you know, Depeche Mode and Duran Duran. And then I also really got into, in the, in the late 90s, early 2000s. I can hear that influence in your songwriting. Yeah, that, that whole, I really got into that whole, people call it industrial, but it's not technically, it's not really industrial. No. But, but, but techno-influenced metal, like Nine Inch Nails right. and Cindy and Gravity Kills um, and Stabbing Westward. And But I've always had a pop sensibility, right? So... Um, I never got into the whole, I'm always, you know, verses and choruses and melodies and harmonies and stuff like that. It was never, it was just like, you know what I'm saying? Right, I, I, right. <laughs> so it's its own thing and it's very reflective of me. No, you're a good singer. You really are. I, I still remember sitting around and Joe Hennessy calls me up on the phone. Hey, Mike, you want to come up to Rona Park and do some vocals for us? <laughs> and next thing I know, we're doing Death Machine. That was a great tune. That's a fun one, yeah. We play that on Renegade Rock all the time. Right on. Yes. It seems that young boys never learn. They drop too fast, they crash and burn. Yes, those are great lyrics. I, whatever happened to that theater? I wonder if it's still there. I think it got turned back into a theater. Wow, uh, that was know, a great rehearsal time. place you guys had there. Oh, yeah. Dude, Kenny Stavropoulos turned us on to that. Remember Kenny? Yes, yes. Uh, Lamont's and um, and Starship drummer. Right. Yeah, Kenny Snuffleupagus. Yeah. So I, I play Joe's stuff on my radio show all the time. His solo stuff, his instrumental stuff, is great. Yeah, I like it. He he uh, he would now he recorded that on like a like on a on a work like on a Boss workstation or something like that. I think. No way, really. It sounds pro. It sounds really good. Yeah, he did a nice job. It was cool. It, it was cool hearing that. It's cool hearing that come out of them, yeah. All right, so we're going to go to a little break here, and we're going to listen to Whores in the Temple from Noah Vale and the Dogs of Heaven, and we'll be right back. Hallelujah! There are whores in the temple tonight! Hallelujah! There are whores in the temple tonight! 
Okay, we're back with Dick Smothers Jr. Dick, that's a great song. Tell us about that song. I, I'll, I'll get a riff. And it, always start the, it usually starts with the riff. Starts with the riff. You don't have yeah, lyrics and then, first. And then I'll and then I'll kind of I'll kind of collect song title ideas and just like put them on a notepad, right, and keep them on my computer. Yeah, that's a cool and I, idea. And I just thought that sounded cool. Whores in the temple. Like it, I, I, it was inspired by um, well, the concept of, of Whores in the temple. It's not. This isn't what it's about, but it's inspired. The title was the uh, ancient Babylonians. Right. The and their temples, the nuns, the priestesses, were what we would call prostitutes. And it was considered an extremely devotional and holy thing for to for to be to have sex. And so it I mean it probably it served a lot of levels. That's not an uncommon um spiritual belief, kind of an aficionado of uh and a, and kind of a, a an amateur scholar of belief systems and uh oh the tantric traditions in um you know in, in Hindu right. and, uh, and and the the more modern um practice of Thalima. Wow uh, that's that's pretty cool. Started by but so anyway, but the lyrics I kind of thought Horse in the Temple, isn't that kind of like that's kind of like what's happened to the music industry kind of, hasn't it? <laughs> Pretty you know much, I mean? pretty much. So, so then I just started putting together imagery and just coming up with these lines like cocaine shit brain, virgin blood stain, you know, <laughs> um, that are evocative, but it doesn't really mean Very anything. graphic, yes. Angels, angels bleeding, take your beating. Oh, man, that's a good one. Yeah, I, 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 I come up with some good turns of phrase. Uh, I, I got, I, language has always been easy for me. So the lyrics, I never worry about the lyrics, man. Never, I never worry about him. I can, I cannot. See, I, I was, can, I was never a lyric person. That's always tough for me. Sometimes it's easy, but well, I can, my language, my language skills are much better now, um, and I think more unique the way I write lyrics now than I did when you know when I was a kid. You know, did you ever were, take voice lessons when you were younger from anybody? I or did. I studied with Judy Davis for a little bit. No I, way, really? Yeah, I wasn't a great student though. Why you I, just wouldn't listen I to hate, her? I fucking hate school. <laughs> Seriously, I hate school and I hate studying. I hated, you know, you know, driving. You're you know, just driving. a rebel. You always were and you always will be. I don't know if I'm a rebel so much as I'm fucking lazy, dude. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's a one I'm way willful. to put it. I'm willful. I do what I want. Right. I, I'm the same way. I've led my whole life that way, Dick. You, I don't do it despite anybody. That's narcissistic for people to think that. Me like, neither. I'm, no. I'm just not into it. No. It, it's like whatever. You, know? you have just to do things for yourself man well one of the tenets of oto and philema and um the, the and uh, this is a part of alistair crowley um whom a lot of people don't understand at all but i've, I've done quite they a bit don't of understand him at all no do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law everybody acts according to their will now that doesn't mean everybody just that doesn't mean you do what you want regardless of the, the consequences. No, it doesn't. But it means that I mean and it and it doesn't mean necessarily that you got a lot of options either. But for example, if some guy pulls a gun on you and mugs you and you give him your wallet, you wanted to do that. You didn't want to get shot, right? Right. So if you start looking at things that way, everything is a choice, but at the same token, you don't you don't turn into some kind of asshole that's like you don't see a bunch of homeless people and go, well, they made their choices. It's like, oh, you know, don't even fucking go there, dude. You know what I mean? But there's a lot more to it than that. But 
Yeah, I've gotten, uh, I've actually gotten more into ritual uh, magic and, and, and studying that kind of stuff. It has to be, it has to do with the subconscious and human psychology. Wow, not- that's crazy, because when I was young and I lived in San Francisco, uh, and I had this band, we were playing Black Sabbath-type music, you know, and, and, and we, we lived right down the street from Anton LaVey's house. Oh, that guy's a charlatan. By the way, that, really? that, okay, that, whole thing, that, that whole thing, the Satanic Temple is an atheist organization, first of all. So he, they, it was a joke then. Wait, yeah, well, kind of, yes and no. Now, I'm I'm affiliated with the Satanic Temple, which is not the Temple of Satan, which was uh, Anton LaVey. Right. It is also an atheist organization, but it uses that imagery basically to say, Look, you know, fine, you want to worship, you know, you have the right to worship your Jesus and this and that and the other thing. We have the right to worship this. What makes this any any more ridiculous than that? And the fact is, to us, it's all bullshit. So, whatever. They do it to piss them off and make a point. But it's an actual religion, and they push for uh, religious equality. That's crazy. Did you ever see Anton LaVey's house? <laughs> no, but I saw Anton LaVey, so I can imagine. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the party beard. And the oh, <laughs> I know, but what a scary house, man. I'm telling you. Uh, he, he was trying to make a point. Yeah, and, you I know, know. I know. Dude, he banged a lot of shit. He sure did. <laughs> did a lot of drugs. <laughs> yes. There's a lot of weird <laughs> stories about that house, I'll tell you. I'm sure. But he, he was not he was not into Solomonic magic or Enochian magic. He wasn't into any. He, he was he was an atheist. You so know, do you still have the tape of when Kamikaze went down to L.A. and, and you were on the Smothers Brothers? Uh, I have a copy of that, but that was really awful. I had no idea how to lip sync. I thought it was pretty good. Joe showed it to me once. I thought it was really good. Yeah, I thought it was horrible. I, I, I was like, oh, And Did the thing was, the, the director was this was this casualty of 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 too many midnight specials <laughs> and he had, I mean, dude, he had none, none of his none of his camera worker moves was planned out. He's like, yeah, I just like to wing it. So it's like, it's like, hey, I'm seeing it. There's Joe's knee. Yeah, It was just wherever. There were no cues at all. And even I knew. Well, well, we're no, nah, just do it, just like you're live. But I go, but I'm, not, but it's not live. I'm like, what the fuck? So dude? it's not a good memory for you. It's all right. It's okay. I, yeah, it was okay. It was a fun trip. It was funny though, because let me tell you something. Did it help the band out? Did it help the band out? The appearance? No, because because here's the deal. The night it was aired in the night it was aired, it was supposed to be aired in the Bay Area. It was blacked out by a football game. So they uh, and and the the deal that they had with those specials is they were not they were scheduled like maybe two weeks in advance by the network i mean it really was you know they, there was they were not putting any energy or effort into it at all so there was no way to like hey everybody and you know in three months you know right your local station and stuff like that but uh no nah, i didn't do it anymore. so what was it like growing up in in show business i mean what, what year were you born in the 70s 64. 64. So, yeah, I'm 10 years older than you. So, so yeah. what was it like growing up in this, the Smothers well, Brothers household in the 60s? Well, upper upper middle class, basically. I mean, well, I mean, the 60s, I mean, I was only, I mean, I, I was only a kid in the 60s for just a few years. Yeah, so. right. But, no, we, we so upper middle class. We lived in, we lived in uh, Manhattan Beach when I was little. I remember that. We lived in Woodland Hills. You know, we lived in Mammoth for a little bit because my dad wanted. Were you associating with other Hollywood young uh, stars? No, not at all. Not totally at all. I had the worst of both worlds, bro. Because wow. my dad didn't be with other industry people, okay? Because he's intimidated by them. Wow, that's interesting. Well, he's an, he's 
arguably an insecure person. Is your dad so still died. around? Yeah, he lives in Sarasota. He must be in his 80s then, right? 83. Yes. Well, I didn't grow up amongst my own kind, and I went to public school and stuff, so everybody knew who I was. Right. And, the, and, and, the, and as far as they were concerned, they knew who I was, too. So that's not an ideal situation. Um, I When I got older, I, I mean, I took advantage of it. You know, I mean, there was, and there were things like, you know, it was like everybody's parents, you know, wanted their kid to be friends with you, you know. Right. Oh, invite him over for, invite him over for. Right, yeah, sure. You know what I mean? And shit like that. So it was kind of like, you know. Um, that got, that got old fast. Well, kind of. Not when you're a kid, though. And the thing is, it goes to your head. So basically, that's what I did is I started acting like my dad. But the thing was, my dad could get away with it. But, I, you know, I wasn't. So it's like, it's like, oh, dude, you know, Dick's so funny. So this, so that. Oh, fuck, Dick Jr. is such a fucking obnoxious asshole. You know, and I wasn't. <laughs> I acted like my dad. So I was insensitive. Right, you didn't know. You just... I was narcissistic. You know, I was, a, you know, all, all these things, you know, that, that are enabled by your status when you're a celebrity. Well, you sound like you have your uh, life under control and your, your situation is where you want it to be, right? No, I am. I mean, that's the thing. I spent a lot of my adult life, you know, turning inward. Me too. Which, trying to find out also, my, yeah, exactly your place and what you are. And my, my identity is internalized and then I express it externally. Your average person, it's the other way around. It, they're seeking to create. They're seeking to create their identity by externalization, by associations with groups, by material possessions, and all this other stuff. And then, and that they're not, they're not really themselves. You know what I mean? And, I uh, totally understand. <laughs> so, I mean, that alienates me to a degree. Sounds like but, my family. <laughs> and uh, yeah, sure. It sounds like a lot of people's families, huh? Yes. And we're and we living in an age where that's even more enabled. I mean, seriously, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me. Social media, Jesus Christ, dude. This is the thing, dude. I mean, you were talking about you got a million views on that video. And I get nothing from it. Well, here's, but here's the deal. Now, a million views ain't shit. I know. There's like people, they're YouTube celebrities. I'm like, I never heard of them. I was like, do you have any idea how much stuff is on YouTube? Do you know what I'm saying? There's entire pockets and cultures. So, same with uh, Spotify. I have millions of streams on Spotify. I get nothing for it. I mean, oh, well, yeah. well, maybe there you go. a couple yeah. hundred bucks. That's exactly what I was talking about when I said that the industry winds up getting their hands on everything, right? Exactly. Yeah, you get nothing. Nothing. Well, Dick, we're out of time here. It's been nice talking to Dick Smothers Jr. What's going to be the song we're going to ride out on? Let's do Dancing with the Damned. That's the one I played first, Dancing with the Damned. Yeah, that's a great tune. I think it is. That's my vampire song. Yeah, it's a good. And I like your makeup. The whole thing looks cool. You know who you sort of look like in, in, in the Noah Vale thing? Almost like Terry Bozio from Missing Persons when he was uh, did up with all the makeup and stuff. And well, the, it's funny because back in Kamikaze days and when our early photos and stuff like that, when my hair was all sticking up in the air and shit, I, a lot of people said the same thing. So I guess. Oh, really? Um, wow, that's I mean, interesting. I, I guess I, guess I kind of look like Terry Bozio, which. Uh, I could. There's, or there's, he looks like you. Yeah, lucky fellow. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> but, uh, there, 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 there could be worse people to be to look like. That's right. But uh, yeah, yeah that, but your whole image it looks cool. You reinvented your. You found a good niche. Are you going to uh, revitalize uh, Noah Vale? Are you going to be working on some new projects? Well, I've got. We didn't even go over the whole story about me trying to get a live band together and stuff like that. If you have one thing to say to any up and coming musician or someone who wants to get into the music business as your last word, now is your chance. Learn a trade. <laughs> 
I Why love not it. kidding? I Learn love it. I agree. Thanks so much, Dick. Right on. Thanks, Mike. It was a lot of fun. We'll, we'll see you soon. Yeah.